0: Welcome to the HT Cambridge podcast for more information see our website htcambridge.org.uk teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples he said to them when you pray say father hallowed be your name your kingdom come give us each day our daily bread forgive us our sins for as we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation then he said to them suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says friend lend me 3 loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and i have nothing to set before him then the one inside answers don't bother me the door is already locked and my children are with me in bed i can't get up and give you anything I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened." Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And then Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. It's page 1135 of the Pew Bible. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. Nice to see you all. Welcome to you. Something you can't actually see, but I can, is that um, I'm preaching from a lectern, which is half the lectern it was last week. I'm entirely to blame. Last Sunday evening, I was making a point with considerable passion. And I went, Oi! And it flew off and broke, so it's sheared away. Never mind, let's pray. Let's pray for the Lord's help this morning. Father God, thank you for your presence today. And thank you that we focus on your gift of life, the Holy Spirit. And we ask, Lord, that you would make us hungry and thirsty for you. Allow us to see how powerless and underpowered we are. And bring us hungry imploringly to you for more of you in our lives more of you in our hearts and our heads a greater awareness of your friendship and your kingship speak through the scriptures speak to us we pray in Jesus name Amen week by week in the morning so we've been looking at promises in the scriptures but not just any old promises Promises that are repeated in Scripture. And we've said many times that when God says something once, he means it. He doesn't need to repeat himself. When he speaks, his word is his bond. He will not break it. He whose word cannot be broken. That's the one we worship. But when he repeats something twice, then I think it's fair to say he's emphasizing the point. But when he repeats something again and again and again and again in successive generations, so many times, actually, that you almost lose count of it, then it has to be this is a promise he really wants us to take on board, he is really committing himself to, and he doesn't want us to miss. And his promise of the spirit of life is just such a promise. I'm just going to read out just a very few of the many, many times that God promises his Holy Spirit. Isaiah 44, verse 3. I will pour out on the thirsty land. I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring, my blessing on your descendants. To Ezekiel. I will pour out my spirit on the house of Israel, declares the sovereign Lord to Joel. And afterwards I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. And that, of course, is quoted in Acts chapter 2. In Luke 24, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, says Jesus. Stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Talking about the Holy Spirit. In John 7, 37, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And this he said about the Spirit. In Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and throughout the ends of the earth. So you're beginning to get the impression that God is on record through generations, through the scriptures, that he will pour out his Spirit. And why this is so significant for us is what we're going to explore this morning. Because it will make all the difference in the world to the way we live in the world. The Holy Spirit is the equivalent of having a heart transplant. Everything changes the way we're motivated, what we live for. David prayed in the scriptures, create in me a new heart. And God says, Yes, I will. And it's not a kind of cosmetic makeover to make you look better on Facebook or Instagram or something like that. It's transformation from the core of your being. It's surgery of character. It's a heart transplant indeed. About a year ago now, I was having a conversation uh, with some very dear friends, good friends. I hadn't seen them. Liz and I went to visit them in America where they live. We hadn't seen them for uh, over 25 years. And we were catching up over a week. We had a week together. And um, we didn't talk all our news over the very first five minutes, but over the the week we were together, we were able to form a picture of what had gone on in the intervening years. We were talking about what God had done in our lives and how we'd seen our families change, etc., etc. And... As we got kind of reacquainted and trusted one another, we shared things that were deeper in our lives. And this dear mother started to talk about her youngest child, her son, who's now in his late 20s. And it turned out that his path in life had not been easy over the previous 20 years or so. And uh, he had failed at, at school, he'd dropped out, he'd found things a real challenge relating to people, was seriously difficult, Um, he'd got into habits of self-abuse, he'd been unemployed for a lot of time, Uh, but throughout it all he'd managed to maintain a good relationship with his parents and good communication. And quite recently, through us having a conversation, his mother had been on the phone with him, he now lives uh, hundreds of miles away from where his parents live, and they were having a, a good, gentle conversation. And the mother just asked a, a question. She said something like this. I've changed his name, obviously. T- tell me, Ian, how was it that over all those years when you were growing up and you brought your friends home and they looked so radical, that, you know, they kind of dressed to protest and they had hairstyles to match and various sorts of ironmongery hanging out of their bodies, that kind of thing. How come you you never did any of that? And she said, Ian said to me, You see, Mum, they were messed up on the outside. I was messed up on the inside. And the mother said, "Uh, I've been thinking about that a lot recently. And I think that actually that's what God would say to us, you know. Every one of us. And if there's a shred of honesty... In your life, you will have said to God, I'm messed up on the inside, whatever I look like on the outside. And God says to us, His family, I know. That's why I came. That's why I sent my spirit. I want to move in your life. You're exactly the people I want on my team, but the place for you in my family, and you can know it by the Holy Spirit in your heart. These are the kind of people God wants in his church. These are the kind of people God chose as his closest friends, his disciples. These are the kind of people that God will choose to build his kingdom through the power of his Spirit. God's Spirit is here to help us today, this morning. It's been a wonderful week Whatever happens today or in the future, it's been a wonderful week as so many people up and down the country have got together to pray. And we prayed every day the Lord's Prayer. And in this church, we had lots of great church prayer meetings. And I want to ask you to turn to Luke chapter 11, where the Lord's Prayer is recorded. It's read, it's on page 1042, if you're looking at it in the church Bibles. And you might be saying to yourself, as I sort of really said to myself as I prepared this sermon, hmm, how am I going to link a sermon on Pentecost power and the Holy Spirit with the Lord's Prayer? Pity the Holy Spirit doesn't get a mention in the Lord's Prayer. Aha. But you see, you could say, if you've got the scriptures in front of you, and as I hope to show this morning, The prayer, come Holy Spirit, is in fact the climax of the Lord's prayer. Let's remind ourselves what's going on. I'm sure you know it anyway. But at the very beginning of Luke chapter 11, the disciples turned to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray just like you pray. Because they saw him every day. He would go off and he would go to a quiet place and he'd pray. So very obviously, in Jesus' life, prayer was a significant habit. And As you would do if you were tracking someone every day for three years. After a bit, you'd want to say, well, come on. What's so great about what you're doing? Teach us to pray. And he does. He says to them in verse 7, when you pray, say this. And then you can see in Luke, he, he says the Lord's Prayer. What we come to know as the Lord's Prayer. But then don't stop with the last bit of verse and lead us not into temptation see what Luke says Jesus says straight away after that it's one of those occasions when the little words mean something important then Jesus said to them in other words we know this isn't like something clever going on with the gospel writers this is Jesus saying this is Luke saying when Jesus taught us to pray he gave us the Lord's Prayer and he said at that time and then Jesus said and he tells them this story Suppose, suppose that one of you's got a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says, "'Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, "'because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me "'and I have nothing to set before him.'" I have nothing to set before him. Now, at this point, we need to use our imaginations and we need to just step back in time and imagine that we are one of the disciples Listening to Jesus. Because it's not actually obvious to us in contemporary Cambridge what is going on. If one of you came to me at midnight, I wouldn't be best pleased. But you probably wouldn't come anyway. Because you know where the nearest supermarket is. And actually chances are you've got something in the fridge that you could give to someone who calls on you. But in those days it was entirely, entirely different. The guy who was traveling couldn't get on his mobile phone. He couldn't even send a letter and say, expect to see me sometime in July. So the rule of a road was just simply this. You arrived, and you arrived when you arrived. And you went to your friend or your friend of a friend or a friend of a friend of a friend, and the rule of a road, pretty much like a gap year student traveling is, (laughs) have compassion, I need food. And so this person arrives, this friend arrives, and you imagine knocking him on the door, and if there is a door, and yes, there is a door, because we're taught that in the story. And they go into the house, and you imagine them having a pleasant trip. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. Have you been traveling long? Yes, you obviously have. You look absolutely exhausted. Oh, the camels need feeding. Don't worry. Sit down. Make yourself at home. I'll be back with some bread and food. But actually, that person has no bread, no food. And so they run out the back door of the house while their friend is sitting down, and they run to their neighbors, and they know they're caught in this incredibly embarrassing predicament. And you just, it's so rude not to offer hospitality. So they knock on the door. Help! I, I, I'm just so embarrassed, I've got nothing to give this friend. Shut up, go home. I'm in bed. I'm in bed with the children, go home. Now, not until you've had children and have struggled to put them to bed (laughs) do you begin to understand what's going on in the mind of that person. But it's still raw in my memory, however many years later, since the last time I put a grumpy child to bed and got him to sleep. It's a triumph when that moment comes and it's the end of a long day and they are asleep. (sighs) Wonderful. And so the last thing you want is some clop knocking on the door going, let me in, let me in, I need some bread. And that's what's happening here. That's exactly what the quality is that Jesus commends. And Jesus points out in his story, suppose you had a friend, he comes to you at midnight, and you're in bed with the children, and they're asking for food, even though you don't care less about the friend, even though your children are finally asleep. Because the person is so bold, so desperate, old-fashioned words, so importunate, so insistent, a complete pain in the neck, because they're on it, you you will get out of bed and you will satisfy them and give them what they want. You're beginning to get the picture. Or shall I start again? (laughs) And this is what Jesus is saying. Our attitude of coming to God should be Because without his help, friends, you have nothing to set before anyone of value or consequence. Nothing. The man on the outside is pleading, pleading, pleading. He knows that the cupboard is bare. When I was in Oxford studying theology in order to get ordained, one of the things that used to be controversial and we used to sit around amongst students at theological college arguing about was the place of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian. And I can't tell you the hours were wasted talking about this. And basically there were a group of us who believed the Holy Spirit should be very present in our lives and that the gifts of the Spirit were for today and you're a clot if you didn't ask for all of them. And then there was another group who really wanted to run away from this whole topic like the plague. And that controversy raged. And it was fine while we all sat in theological college because you know that you don't do anything practical there at all. Anyway. <laughs> but fast forward or slow forward, if you like, 20 years. And I find myself talking to a group of church leaders in a place called Holland in Michigan in the United States. And this area that I'm talking in, uh, it's called Holland because a lot of uh, Dutch people settled there. And by theological inclination, they're very, very conservative. And we come to a talk that I'm to give about the Holy Spirit, and how he can help you in ministry. And these are lovely, lovely people. Each one of them is a church pastor and their assistants. And I've been ordained by this time well over 20 years. And what we've got in common is, we know how much hard work it is trying to serve other people for Jesus Christ. And now, the time of intellectual arguing is over. Because we know, it's our common experience, that we can't make any headway whatsoever in spiritual life just on our own talents and strengths. I'm sure you've tried it and been there and you know what I'm talking about. You can't even conduct yourself well. Have you ever tried to pray for an hour in your own strength? If you're anything like me, of course you've tried and you know that you think about coffee and cornflakes and everything else apart from Christ. Have you ever tried to read the scriptures in your own strength, just on your own? Of course you've tried. And you know what a hopeless exercise it becomes. Let alone have you tried to reach out to the broken. How do you bring solace in suffering in just your own strength? You can't. How on earth do you hope to see people one to Christ, in your own strength, just on your own. You can't do it. How on earth do you offer help to someone with an addictive disorder? What hope have you got as a pastor of filling an empty church or maintaining a full one, just in your own strength? I didn't have to really push this point, because we all knew that, day. In our own strength, we are insufficient to the task. We have nothing to set before the people. Jesus Christ commissions us as his children and his family to go out and heal the sick, to go out and bring hope, to be compassionate to those who are in trouble, to bring hope to those who are in despair. We can't do this in our own strength. And so back in that day when I said, come forward and let's pray for the Holy Spirit to come with his anointing, It was as if they kind of threw away all their objections and just came and knelt down and cried out with a passion and a pain for the Lord to come. And of course he did, he came to minister. And I want to talk a little bit about what we can expect as God's family, as the Spirit of God comes and fulfills those promises that I read right at the beginning of this talk. And they're all things that we can't bring about in our own strength. You will remember that Jesus went on to say, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Well, of course you wouldn't. If you ask for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Of course you wouldn't. If you then are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And that's the connection. I'm not just making it up. Each of these paragraphs, the story of a man so hungry, is resolved when the Holy Spirit comes. Jesus makes the connection. But he reminds the disciples, you who are evil, you wouldn't give bad gifts to your children. How much more will our Heavenly Father give the good gift of the Holy Spirit when we ask? And here's why he's good. As the Spirit fills God's church, We can expect people to be converted. We can expect people to recognize Christ for who he is. That's what the Spirit does. He gives understanding. I was rereading the book of Acts in preparation for this sermon earlier in the week. And one of the things that jumped out at me was how unexpected people are converted. It's just the work of the Spirit. And I guess Saul is one of the more obvious ones. You know, this murderer, this guy intent on ethnic cleansing. The spirit sees to his conversion. 3,000 people were converted in a day as the spirit is poured out. A centurion in Joppa, a jailer in Philippi, an Ethiopian treasury official. They all would say, I once was blind and now I see. That's the work of a spirit. That's why... All this week, we've been praying the Lord's Prayer. We said, send your spirit. There might be conversions. Because, you see, logic alone is never going to do it. Do you think you're going to convert anybody? Do you think anyone's going to be persuaded just by logic? I've never met anyone who suddenly saw the truth just by logic. Logic, to believe is logical, but that doesn't convert people. Do you think argument alone is going to do it? No. Do you think a reading of scriptures alone is going to do it? No. Without the revelation of the Spirit, this book, the Bible, looks more like a cryptic cipher than inspirational scripture. But when, you send, when God sends the Spirit, people are cut to the quick. That's why we do pray, don't we? Lord, we've heard of your fame. We stand in awe of your deeds. Renew them in our day. And I love to hear about revivals. I love to hear people's reminiscences of Billy Graham uh, revival meetings and hundreds coming forward. But it all comes with the Spirit. And whether it's a prisoner in a high security wing who comes to Christ, whether it's a widow living alone, whether it's a child in children's church telling us how she becomes a Christian, that's happened very, very recently, it's the Spirit of God. And maybe I just need to say to someone sitting here this morning, it's time you let Jesus into your life. Just ask the Holy Spirit to come, to give you understanding, so that you can trust him and serve him. That's what I would expect to happen when the Spirit flows, more people to come to Christ. Here's the second thing, and I'm being very selective, I know. When the Spirit fills God's church, refreshment comes. Refreshment comes. We would be a very untypical church if there were not some people here this morning who need refreshment. Who you just know spiritually you're on your uppers, as it were. And that's why I love the fact that in the scripture this picture of dry bones, brittle, hard, worn out, and the Spirit of God coming, the wind of the Spirit coming, and they come to life. And God turns these skeletal parts into something beautiful for Him. I love that, because it's a picture for wind of the Spirit, the life of the Spirit blowing on God's people. I love the picture of the river of life in Ezekiel. And wherever that river flows, there are swarms of living fish. And life comes with the river. That's what we can expect when we ask the Holy Spirit to come into our lives and into his church. And a certain boldness comes with the territory. When I was doing my theological training, one of the quietest men there was a man called Albert Vun. I don't think I heard this guy who was training with us from Singapore? I don't think I really ever heard him say anything much over three years. About 15 years later, a friend said to me, um, Come and hear Albert Vun uh, speak. He's the most dynamic speaker I've ever heard in my life. And I thought, Albert? Can't be. They said, Yeah, no, seriously, he is. He's amazing. Come along and hear. And I went, and Albert was like a lion. He was so bold for the gospel, and he was so vivacious and full of life. And some of you will actually remember him because he came and preached here a number of times. And whenever he came, he kind of filled the place with his personality, but more than that, with Jesus' personality. And it was the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit just taken over Albert's life. And what do you think God needs to bring amongst us to make us a lively crowd? I don't mean obnoxious in your face. I mean a crowd that can live out the kingdom. What gifts do you think we need here? Well, pray for them. Pray for them. Paul said to the Corinthians since you long for spiritual gifts, strive for the gifts that will build up the church. Do we need prophets? Yes, let's pray for that. Do we need people with the gift of healing? Yes, let's pray for that. Do we need people with the gift of administration? Yes, do we need people who are going to be generous? Yes. Do we need people who are full of mercy? Yes. Do we need evangelists? Yes. Do we need the gift of compassion? Yes. And on and on and on and on. Strive for the gifts that will build up the church. Bring it on. So I've talked about conversions. I've talked about charismatic gifts. And I want to talk about the character of Christ. The character of Christ. The fruit of the Spirit that the Spirit brings. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Have you ever been in the company of someone like that? I hope so. It should be that we look in the mirror and we say, Holy Spirit make me like that. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc. I'm always moved when I remember a story A true story of an incident that happened in a crowded station in Calcutta where a a blind man used to sell fruit and oranges and they were stacked up on his table, apparently, in front of him every day. And one day, in the hurly-burly and crush, someone knocked his table and all the fruit went everywhere on the floor and the blind man could hear it happening and sense what had happened and he just stood behind his table. And then he heard and he gathered what was happening, that someone was picking up all the fruit and was restacking it on the table. And the blind man was heard to say, Mr. Jesus, is that you? Mr. Jesus, is that you? Mr. Jesus, is that you? And I've always thought that's an amazing picture of the love and kindness that can be shown One of the most beautiful things, and personal things, really, that has happened to me since I've been in Cambridge, happened uh, about 18 months ago. As I had just left my house and was walking down Grange Road, walking my dog. It's a particularly silly sight because I have a very small, stupid dog. But nevertheless, this is the kind of things that happen. And I was walking, just setting off, walking my dog, And this man I recognized on a bicycle on the other side of the road wearing a bicycle helmet was cycling along and I waved at him and he waved back to me and uh, then he got off his bike and he came across and he said, Hi Rupert, nice to see you, how are you doing? Now I could tell you the name of this guy but I'm not going to but uh, he's well known in Cambridge and he's well known in America as being a top Bible scholar, a great musician, He holds positions of authority, both in this university and in American universities, and he's the kind of speaker that you have to book up ages and ages in advance if you want him to come anywhere near your church. But on that afternoon, as he was cycling along, he just said, hi, Rupert, how are you? And I said to him, well, actually, as a matter of fact, I'm I'm pretty torn up and down, because right now I'm spending a lot of my time jumping on trains from King from Cambridge to King's Cross to go and visit my mother who was dying of leukemia in hospital. And without so much as kind of missing a beat, he took off his cycle helmet, he leant his bicycle against the wall, and he said, let's pray together. And he put his hand on my shoulder, and he just prayed this wonderful, heartfelt prayer, full of compassion and kindness. And then he said, if there's anything I can ever do to help, I'd just love to help Rupert. And I went on and I walked the dog. And as I was walking the dog, I thought, actually, he could do something to help. He could preach on Sunday instead of me. So I rang him up and I said, um, do you think you could possibly step into my shoes on Sunday? He said, of course I will. And he came to this church and he preached in my place. And he didn't just knock off an old sermon. He preached on the passage that was, I was meant to be preaching on. And he made the world a difference. But what I thought on that day, and I've thought so many times since, is that man makes me want to be a Christian. I've seen Christ's likeness, and I'd like it in my life. And that was the Spirit of God. I don't think he has a clue of the significance of what he did that day, but it changed my life. This is the overflow, the character of the Spirit. And I'm loving seeing the character of Christ in our congregation. And I urge you to pray for more of the character of Christ that comes with the Holy Spirit. How do we receive? Well, it's not by trying harder. That's the problem, you see. It's not by trying harder. You can't really appropriate more of the Spirit by gritting your teeth and pulling up your socks. But we can take steps to be more open to receive. It isn't that we earn fresh encounters with God. The gifts of the Spirit are called gracelets. That's to say they're given because he wants to give them. It's exactly not like when you go shopping and you show your club card and they put something on your club card because you spent a fortune in a shop. You don't earn God's grace or character. But you do make it easier for him when you do certain things. Look at verse 9 and 10 of this passage. When you ask, when you seek, when you knock. If you ask him for the Holy Spirit, you're so much more likely to receive. If you seek the source of a blessing, you're so much more likely to find it. If you knock on the door of God's heart, he's so much more likely to open his heart to you. The question really is this, how hungry are you? And how hungry am I? Because if you're full of yourself, or you consider yourself full, you're really not going to come and ask God for his Holy Spirit at all. But when you begin to see just a little bit of how lacking you are in God's grace, God's power, God's strength... And you just come hungry and say, Lord, help, help, help. He will do the business. He will do the business. And we can claim those many, many promises of refreshment, of a new character, a new heart. On the last and greatest day of a feast, Jesus stood up and said, If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. This, said Jesus, it's about the spirit, or said John, it's about, Jesus said about the spirit. Here are a couple of other ways we can make it easy for God to give time for this. Give time. Those who wait upon the Lord renew their strength. And I know personally, I sometimes tense up. Tense up do exactly what's not helpful during these kind of ministry times. But in a sense, rather than trying harder, it's actually a sense of trying to let go that I think is more helpful. I thought about trying to have a pictorial image up here to help us get our heads around what it means to invite the Spirit into our lives. And I thought about having a thimble, a a tumbler, and a tank, which all begin with T. Isn't that marvelous? And I I thought about, you know, saying something like, you know, you want a thimble full of God's grace and a tumbler full or a tank full. And I thought those are so woefully inadequate as images of what we're about. Because what we really want is a river to flow through. And for me to say, would you like to jump in? Would you walk yourself out of your depth? And because I think I'm the rather inhibited sort of person that I am, uh, I often find it easier just to picture myself walking out of my depth into the spirit of life and surrendering afresh and letting the water come over my ankles, my knees, my thighs, my shoulders, my head, until eventually I'm just relying on the spirit of God holding me up. Another way in Scripture that the Spirit comes, and this is why we do it in this church, is people pray for their friends. They just quite simply lay hands on them. It's what priests did. But in the New Covenant, we're all priests. So it's what we do as God's family. We just say, come and bless. Lord, fill so and so with your Holy Spirit. Refresh them." But the one thing I implore you not to do this morning is to go home without asking God's help. For goodness sake, let's realize we are dry as a bone. We have nothing to set before a hungry world in comparison to what we could have. So we pray, God, help, help, help. And if I hadn't already broken this lectern, I'd do it again today. Saying, help, help, help. So I'm going to pray for us now. We're going to do this in two ways. I'm going to pray just a quiet, reflective, meditative, meditative sort of prayer. And I'm hoping that this will make it easier, relatively speaking, for those who, who are kind of quiet, reflective, that sort of person. And then the worship band are going to come up. Aren't you, worship band? And... Uh, Going to lead us in some praise songs, and I'd like the ministry teams to come up, and for us to have an opportunity just to pray for one another. If you would like prayer and ministry at that point, I'll make it clear. Just come forward, and we won't have great long conversations. So you'll just tell one another how you'd like the Holy Spirit to bless you, and we'll watch what He does. Would you like to stand, actually, and I'll lead us in this prayer? I'm going to read out the passage from Ezekiel 47. And it's describing how an angel leads a man into a river that's getting deeper and deeper. And it describes how where that river goes, life is. And you might allow yourself to be uh, the person in the picture. The man, says Ezekiel, brought me back to the entrance of the temple. And I saw water coming out from under the threshold of a temple towards the east. As the man went east with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep. And he measured off another thousand and led me through water that was knee deep. And another thousand and the water was up to my waist. And another and now it was a river I couldn't cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in. It was a river no one could cross. And he said, Son of man, do you see? And then he led me back to the bank of a river. When I arrived, I saw a great number of trees on each side. And he said, the water flows towards the east and goes down where it enters into the sea. And when it enters, empties into the sea, the water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There'll be large numbers of fish because this water flows and makes salt water fresh. Fishermen will stand along the shore and there'll be places for the spreading of nets and the fish will be of many kinds like the fish of a great sea. Father God, We pray that you would lead us into your presence by your Holy Spirit. Come now, Holy Spirit, and reach into our hearts. And where we've grown hard-hearted, come, Holy Spirit. Where we've put up defenses to protect ourselves because we simply feel exhausted and haven't got the energy anymore. Come, Holy Spirit. And as we were praying earlier, I felt that there could be, or would be some people here this morning who were suffering just quietly and desperately from the sense of being depressed and in a black hole. Well, ask the Holy Spirit now to come. Holy Spirit, come. And bring light into that situation. Bring hope. Bring the consolation of your loving family into that situation. Break through the darkness, Holy Spirit. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you look upon us as God's children. And you'd give us a new appreciation of the power and strength to serve that you have for us. Thank you that it's on your heart we should become a loving, caring family even more than we are already. Come, Holy Spirit.